Well, as always, it is a privilege and a joy to be able to proclaim God's Word to you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18? Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And we're going to be in chapter 18, verses 15 to 22 today. Last week, we began our series in the midst of Advent called The Promised One, where we're going to be looking at four specific promises of God in the Old Testament. And like all the promises of God, these find their fulfillment in the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. We looked last week at Genesis chapter 3 and we saw the introduction of sin and death into our world. And in the midst of the fall of mankind, God made a promise. He promised that He would send a seed, an offspring of the woman who would crush the head of our enemy, the serpent. The New Testament tells us that that seed is Jesus Christ. He came in His first coming to bind Satan so that He could plunder His house, and He will come again in His second coming to destroy Him once and for all. That was the opening promise of the Gospel, the first announcement of the Gospel. But through the Old Testament, God continues to make promises to His people that He would save them from Satan and sin and death and all the curses of sin that have come upon us. And the amazing news of the New Testament is what we find in that quote that I quoted last week from 2 Corinthians 1.20, that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. It's not just one promise that Jesus came to fulfill and He leaves all the others to be dealt with by someone else. No, all of the wonderful things that God has promised in the Old Testament find their completion, their fulfillment in Jesus. And one of the wonderful things that we see as the Old Testament story moves forward, as God's people become a family and then a nation, is that God establishes these roles, these offices, that are ways that that He establishes leaders to lead His people in knowledge and holiness and righteousness. And then God, who established the offices, who knows the end from the beginning, and orchestrates all of history. He then uses those offices as promises for what Jesus will do when He comes to save His people. And so during the next three weeks of Advent, we're going to look at the promises that God will send a prophet, a king, and a priest for His people. They all come together in the person of Jesus. And the reason why these promises are especially helpful is that they help us to see the full-orbed picture of the gospel, of what Jesus came to accomplish in the gospel. It's so easy for us to truncate the gospel, to get fixated on one aspect of what Jesus has come to do. But the Bible tells us that the gospel is like a diamond. Every way you turn it, you look and see something new and fresh and glorious. Every time you look and see a different angle of that diamond, and so it is with the gospel. So we're going to continue to turn the gospel this morning and look at 
a new aspect of what Jesus has come to do, what it means that Jesus is our true prophet. The passage today, as I said, comes from Deuteronomy, where Moses is speaking to the people. He's giving, in some ways, his last words of direction to the people of Israel. Remember, Moses was the man that God called to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. And then through Moses, he gave his people the Ten Commandments. But not just the Ten Commandments. Moses is the writer of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And so in Deuteronomy, he is reminding God's people what God has done for them, what he has told them, and what they should expect from him after Moses is gone. So let's look at this promise of a prophet from the pen of Moses. But before we do, would you pray with me and ask for God's help? Heavenly Father, as we read your holy word, I ask that you would give us your spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we might know and love your Son, Jesus Christ, more. Open our minds, our hearts, and our wills so that we may hear your word and trust in you. Speak, Holy Spirit. Your people are listening. Amen. This is Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 22. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. This is the word of the Lord. As we look at this passage and the promise that is in this passage, we're going to see three things. First, we're going to ask the question, what is a prophet? And then we're going to see that Jesus is the true prophet. And just like we did last week, in this season of Advent, we remember Christ's first coming and the waiting of God's people before Christ's first coming. But we are also looking to his second Advent, to his second coming. And so we realize that we are awaiting people. So we're going to ask, what are we waiting for? What is it that Jesus is still yet to accomplish in his role as a prophet. But the first question to answer is, what is a prophet? Moses says in verse 15 that the Lord will raise up a prophet like me from among you. So Moses himself is a prophet. And verse 16 refers to a story about Moses' prophetic ministry. He says, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb 
on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. Horeb, if you remember, is another name for the mountain, Mount Sinai. This is where God gave the Ten Commandments to His people. And if you remember the story from Exodus 20, the Lord speaks to the people, and the people, both from His speech and from what they see on the mountain, the fire and the, the, uh, the thunder and the cloud, are terrified. And so they ask Moses to relay God's word to them. They actually ask God to stop talking. And they ask Moses to relay God's word to them. And so this is the pattern of a prophet. You see, the Lord described this in verse 18. He says, I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. A prophet is a person whom God gives his word to. And then the prophet's job is to speak that word to God's people. That's why the phrase that's so often associated with the office of prophet is, Thus saith the Lord. Prophets don't speak on their own authority. They aren't supposed to be charismatic and creative figures who can turn a phrase and come up with really interesting ideas. No, prophets are messengers. Their job is to deliver the Word of God to His people, to tell us what God says. And we often think of prophets telling us, telling God's people about future events, events that have not yet happened. And that's true. The prophets in the Old Testament would often speak of a later point. They would say something, whether it's a message of judgment or blessing, that had not yet come to pass. They would tell God's people about that. But we should never think that that is the only or even the primary message of the prophets. They didn't just tell the future, they also told the present. They often came to correct Israel's misunderstanding of what God was like or to call Israel back to faithfulness to God and His covenant with them. It's true that they would tell Israel the end result, whether it be blessing or cursing, but the end result was always based on the present reality. So the prophet was a messenger of God's Word. But there's one more word used in Scripture to describe the office of prophet that is important for us to know about. The prophets were also called seers, as in someone who sees. This is partly because God would often speak to the prophet in a vision. Just like the words of God, these visions were sometimes about the future and sometimes about the present. The prophet Amos tells us that God gave him a vision of the future where he saw in detail God's coming judgment upon Israel for their sin. But the most famous prophetic vision is in Isaiah 6. In Isaiah 6, the king of Judah has just died, and in the midst of despair and fear, God gives Isaiah a present vision of God on his throne in his heavenly throne room. And I think the image of a seer helps us to notice how much we long for a prophet today. Not primarily in the church, but in the culture around us and the culture at large. We all long for someone who sees reality clearly 
and will tell us what to do about it. We are constantly looking for someone we can trust to read the times and the events of our society correctly. What is going on in the world? What is going on in our country? What is going on in my life? And then, just like the biblical prophets, we want them to tell us where those things are going to lead. It's no secret that a lot of people in our current culture have lost trust in authority, especially public authority. Everything from fake news to revelations about experts who lied to the public has put people in a crisis of not knowing who to listen to. So you realize it's impossible for you to become an expert in everything, and so you long to find someone who sees reality, who sees everything clearly. Someone who will tell it like it is. Someone who doesn't just know what is really going on in the world, but who can tell us where everything is leading. This is a common feeling in our culture right now. We want a confident visionary. And surprise, surprise, you look around and you see individuals popping up on TV and on YouTube and on on, uh, internet sites that are off the grid. And they are people who are gathering people around them. They claim that they can see reality clearly. They are the ones who can truly see. They've not been blinded by media or culture or whoever. They actually know what's going on. And they can see where all of this is heading. Something we always need to remember when we see a popular trend like this in the culture is first, that we are not exempt from that kind of temptation. Christians are often just as hungry for that kind of person as non-Christians are. And then second, that kind of trend always comes from some common hunger some good desire, and in this case, the desire for a prophet, the desire to find a seer, a visionary who has a clear vision of what is going on in the world is not a bad desire. But like so many God-given desires, we look for all the right things in all the wrong places. And we see in this passage in Deuteronomy 18 that God warns against people who will capitalize on this desire for a prophet. He even gives Israel checks and balances to know whether a prophet is of God or not. Look at verses 20 to 23 with me. It says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. God gives two kinds of false prophets in this passage. One is someone who claims to speak on God's behalf. And it turns out that God has not given them his word. And another is someone who speaks in the name of other gods. God says that Israel can tell if the first kind of prophet is false because his predictions won't turn out to be right. 
The second kind is obviously false because he draws you to a different God. There's a lot that can be said about how this functioned for Israel, but the key for us is to remember that there are always going to be false prophets. People who claim to tell you what God says about a situation or who claim to see better than God can see. And this also gives us another insight into what true prophecy is. True prophecy is not just being right about what is happening or what is going to happen. True prophecy is telling people what is really going on in the world with respect to God. It's God's word that the prophet is supposed to relay. In the visions that God gives to his prophets, the vision reveals what God is doing, what God is up to in the world. This is exactly what's going on in Isaiah 6. The king of Judah, who is actually a good and successful king at that time, had just died. And the nation was in despair. So what did Isaiah see in his vision? He saw a clear picture of God. He saw that even though the earthly throne in Jerusalem was empty, the Lord God reigns on His throne in power and glory. He saw that even though military power and vulnerability seemed most important to Him, the most urgent thing for Him after He saw God on His throne was that Israel was a sinful people and that He Himself was a sinful person who needed forgiveness. True prophecy does not just tell us what is going on in the world. True prophecy always reveals God to His people. Who He is, what He is up to, where He is directing our lives and the world around us. And it's with that in mind that we see that this passage is not just a job description for a prophet or how to tell a trustworthy prophet from an untrustworthy one. Nestled in this passage, Moses relays a promise from God that he will one day send the prophet to his people. Verse 15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And then after talking about the experience on Mount Sinai, he says in verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, From among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Notice, just like last week, that in the midst of a general statement about the flow and trajectory of the Old Testament story, God is going to send prophets who will tell Israel what he is like and what he is doing. In the midst of that, He makes a promise for a future day when he will send a single prophet greater than all the rest. What every other prophet did in part, this prophet will do perfectly. And the prophet he is referring to is Jesus Christ. Jesus came not just to do things for us, but to teach things to us. We'll look a bit more at what it means that Jesus is a priest and a king in the coming weeks, but it's very important to see that Jesus' role as a prophet means that he is a teacher to us. 
Remember that summary statement of his ministry in Matthew chapter 4. It says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Jesus taught the law. He taught what the kingdom of heaven was like, which almost always involved teaching and clarifying about what God Himself was like. He taught people where true happiness and joy and satisfaction can be found. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, do you remember the summary statement of the crowd's reaction to His teaching? In Matthew 7, it says, And when Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at His teaching, for He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Although Jesus taught the Word of God and explained what God was like, it was clear that He did it in a different way than everyone else. He didn't teach with a derivative authority like everyone else. He proclaimed God's Word with the authority of God Himself. And we see that Jesus perfectly fulfilled the role of the prophet that he was given. We see that in two ways particularly. First, in his ability to see, and then secondly, in his faithfulness to speak. Remember, the prophet was also called a seer. What did they see? They certainly saw reality, but they saw reality around them in light of the reality of God. The promise in Deuteronomy 18 says that God would raise up a prophet like Moses. And Moses functioned differently than all the other prophets. Deuteronomy 34 tells us this when it summarizes Moses' life and says this, And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Exodus 33 tells us that when Moses would go into the tent of meeting, the Lord used to speak to him face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses was a unique prophet in what he saw. He saw God in some veiled way face to face. Jesus was a prophet like Moses because he saw God face to face. Jesus is the eternal Son of the Father, and as the Son, He has intimate and perfect knowledge of the Father. He says this in Matthew 11, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Jesus knows God perfectly, and He is God Himself. We don't understand the full mystery of the Trinity, that there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But John 17 tells us that the triune God has been in joyful fellowship with Himself from all eternity, before the foundations of the earth. Moses had veiled glimpses of who God is and what he was up to. Isaiah received a vision of God on his throne. But Jesus knows the Father with perfect intimacy and knows exactly what he is like and what he is doing. Jesus is the perfect seer. And that is great to know, 
But Jesus seeing God and God's reality perfectly would be worthless to us if we couldn't trust him to reveal it accurately. It seems ridiculous to think about, but imagine if Jesus knew the Father perfectly, but twisted his words and distorted the picture of him that he was meant to give us. Praise God, we see the exact opposite in Scripture. In John chapter 12, Jesus says, Whosoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has, given, has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Remember the amazing statement he makes to Philip in John 14. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus doesn't hold back anything that the Father gave him to reveal to us. He doesn't twist and distort God's word. We can have perfect trust that he is exactly what the Father has given us to reveal himself to us. Jesus is a faithful prophet. So if he is a faithful prophet who perfectly reveals the Father to us, what does that mean we should do? It means we should listen to him. That's what God says in Deuteronomy 18, and that's what he says again and again in Scripture at the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus stands next to the two great prophets of the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah, do you remember what the Father says in the hearing of the disciples? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And the application for us is so obvious, but we still miss it. I talked earlier about this hunger in our society that certainly includes us in the church too. This desire to find someone we can trust. Someone who isn't influenced by the media and the agendas of the world. Someone who can see reality. A visionary who will tell us like it is. We are longing and hungering for this. And God has sent him into the world and declared from on high Listen to him. And our Bibles sit on the shelf as we watch another YouTube personality who we think might ease our angst. We grit out a five-minute Bible reading each morning and then spend two hours listening to or reading political pundits telling us what is going on in the world. In your searching, Jesus calls out to you, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In your weariness, Jesus declares to you, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In your guilt and insecurity, Jesus says to you, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. In your anxiety and fear of the future, Jesus says to you, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Brothers and sisters, why are we searching for the words of comfort and pardon and rest and eternal life somewhere else? Listen to the voice of the one true prophet of God. Open your ears to Jesus. And so we hear those words, and it's easy for us to think the work of Jesus as the prophet of God is done. He came and spoke God's word and revealed him to us, and now he's done. Hebrews 1, 1-2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And that past tense, has spoken, can give the impression that God has stopped speaking through Jesus. That Jesus' prophetic ministry is now over. One answer to that is that the rest of the Scriptures, particularly the book of Hebrews, does not speak that way. We believe in a closed canon, that God is not giving any new revelation, no new content to His people. But we need to be careful that that doesn't cause us to think that we believe in stagnant or static revelation. No, we believe the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews 12 is that amazing passage, passage that describes new covenant worship that we are worshiping in heaven, in the very throne room of God. And it ends by telling us that Jesus is still speaking. He is no longer speaking from earth, but from heaven. And we believe that He is speaking by His Word. The content is complete, but Jesus is speaking that content of His Word to us again and again. So Jesus is still speaking as God's prophet. But in this season of Advent, where we don't just look back on Jesus' first coming, but we look forward to His second coming, I want us to see what the future prophetic ministry of Jesus will be. Remember that scene in Exodus 20 at Mount Sinai. The people are in terror of God. And so they ask Moses to go to Him instead. Remember Adam and Eve's reaction last week when they sinned. They are terrified of God, and so they hide when He comes. And the end result of that is exile and alienation from God that sin brings. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus comes again, it will not be that way. Instead, Jesus will perfectly reveal the Father to us with no shame, no fear, and no alienation. David longs for this in Psalm 27. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Various New Testament scriptures speak of this amazing promise. 1 Corinthians 13.12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. 
Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Remember the blessing for those who are pure in heart. They shall see God. And the culmination of all things, Revelation 22 describes our eternal joy. It says, No longer will there be anything accursed in the city, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. When He comes again, our true prophet will do the work of a prophet in helping us to see reality. And the reality He will reveal to us for all of eternity is the beautiful, glorious, indescribable face of our God. Let us long for that future. Would you all pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are not a hidden God, but that you have revealed yourself to us in your word and most fully in Jesus. We pray that we would listen to him. That like Peter, we would say, where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that we would come to Jesus not just once, but again and again and again to see God and to see reality. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.